Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and we're back for the first East Tennessee Fishing Report of 2024 with Ellis Ward. Ellis, how you doing? I am doing well, Marv. How are you? As always, uh, just trying to stay out of trouble. Uh, was Santa Claus good to you this year? Yeah, I was a good boy this last year, so I didn't get cold, which is always nice. My daughter actually asked me, not why do kids get cold, but what what do you do? You know, what's the purpose? I was like, ah, oh, man, let's we'll talk about that next year. <laughs> the industrial revolution, all that kind of good stuff, right? Yeah, I was like, look, you're a good kid. I'm a good kid. Well, we're going to gloss over that question for right now. Yeah. And so I know your heart grew three sizes because over the Christmas holiday, you got a ton more rain in East Tennessee. Yeah. Better be careful making Grinch references. That'll also set me off. Um, <laughs> we got, uh, when there's a pretty cool on NOAA.org, there's an hourly forecast that gives you rain or sky cover, precipitation probability, humidity, temperature, wind chill, all that. Um, and it can be good to, you know, that's like one one data source that you can use. For me, prepping, uh, if, if the trip's going to happen one way or the other, or for people just to say, is this a good time to go fish? And they give these little bars when, when it says a high probability of rain, it'll highlight that they do it between four and six hours. And when it's a quarter inch over that period of time, that's like a good amount of rain. And for for a full day, it was, you know, one and a quarter for two or three of those four to six hour segments in a row. Um, so I I know that I've said this before, that amount of rain can cause problems. And, and um, we have, we're up at the top of the, the Tennessee River system and the dams do a good job of keeping everyone safe. Um, it's been so dry since last fall that we need a couple more of those. Uh, obviously not going to hope for anything that does others harm, but for just, just in isolation of our water tables and all the reservoirs, the pre-stone, just the, the general health of the wildlife around here. We, we need a few more of those. It was nice to finally get like a multi-day cold drenching. Yeah. And I would imagine too, that uh, you took advantage of the holiday season to spend a fair amount of time, probably uh, on your own chasing muskie, right? Yeah. I think I got out there. I was out there on Christmas and that was the day before it started coming down that day. And then it really opened the throttles up. Um, and then, yeah, it took a break for a few days. Had a, had a trout trip, last trout trip of the year, which was, it was fun. Guy's first time um, actually contacted me through listening to this podcast. So, shouts out to Ryan. And 
Yeah, we we just we saw we saw the post spawn activity of the brown trout and got some risers. And I mean, it was a cold day, upper thirties, a little bit windy for nine hours. So it was hard. And um, I kind of spent the the previous day or two taking care of the, the things that one needs to take care of when otherwise they're off pacing musky and bouncing around the tail hours at basically 24 hours a day. So a couple of good days of admin in there, good trip and um, back at it day after tomorrow. And then um, trips sort of pick back up starting next week, mostly musky still. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting too, right? Because I would imagine that having the the more sustained flows, right, from the high water and also the fact that it's kind of been colder, um, I would imagine that uh, patterning the uh, the muskies probably getting a little bit easier than it was probably four or five weeks ago. Yeah. So you get to benefit from your times on the low water. You In that low water where the fish can be very finicky. Um, if you're out there enough and if you are, are fishing enough, it doesn't happen over one season. It certainly doesn't happen over one day. You can stumble into it over the course of a day or just a couple hours, but you can, over the course of years, you can figure out where, where they're probably going to be, what they're probably going to be doing. Um, you know, pick your weather days, your moon days and really get those things dialed in for my own fishing. I get to qualify follows and, you know, new zones as wins because, you know, if I catch them, it's like, all right, well, that's, if I have a trip in two or three days, like got to think twice about really wanting to feed too many fish on your own. Um, if you don't have other spots, so doing all that work in low water and, and getting the follows and even on some trips, you know, I, I have guys putting in so many more casts, so many more presentation than I can do on my own. And I actually get to explore and, and sort of bank that data from, from the guys who are paying me to, to guide them. And you know, getting all of that and putting all of it together over years, you you come up with, all right, I'm going to focus on these areas. And you start seeing more fish. They can be tough on that. It's the same as every other fish, low and clear. They can really need some convincing and... Um, you, you just might not have too many shots at convincing them by the time they're under the boat and saying, see you later. So some of that staying when you know where they are, you have the confidence to say, I know I'm fishing over. You're not just saying it to make yourself feel sane. Oh, I can't, I can't imagine how many times we've presented to a muskie today and haven't been eaten. There's, there's places where you know the fish are that when the water's off, the likelihood of them eating and, and eating pretty quickly as opposed to 
following in the eight, six times at the boat in clear water and not going. Um, the, the chance of that happening is of those full commitment eats is going to be a lot higher. So I'm certainly thankful for that. There's gives and takes there because I mean, this is more on the French broad, less on the clench. You're not able to see more than maybe a foot. Um, the French is, French broad is just a little sandier and you lose visibility quickly. And if it, there's a lot of structure we're casting into, and so you, you get the feel of the river pretty quickly, but, um, first couple hours can feel pretty snaggy and you just you gotta be pretty heads up and what you're doing with your fly and, and how you're working it. So as always somewhat, um, redundant speaking from me and walking back on my own words, but there are, there are pros and cons to the the high dirty. Yeah. Got it. And, you know, of course, you know, heading into the, uh, to the full fledged jaws of winter is also tying season and, uh, had a, have a pretty good, uh, tying question for you from James Culp. And, uh, he apparently has been watching your tying videos on YouTube. And I, I guess in one of your previous ones, you talked about, uh, the value of shorter wedges on drunken disorderly heads. And he was wondering if you could maybe talk about that a little bit more um, about why it's valuable and maybe some tips for, you know, how to time a little bit more effectively. And I guess he specifically wants to know about how to make a smooth transition uh, between the bunny strip of the head and the deer hair. Yeah. And I, I've noted this on all of my tying videos related to the drunken and, and to the swim bug and i've talked about it a bunch i learned this stuff from listening to tommy and from tying i really can't even guess how many awful flies and and then you start getting a little better and then you i, I still cut heads off um sometimes the the hair is just too buoyant and yeah maybe i went Maybe the head just ended up being too long. I'm switching from size one to size one odds or going down to the twos for minis. And um, yeah, so it's a long way of saying whatever I'm talking about with this, it is worth finding a couple of the podcasts that Tommy has been on. If you just look up Tommy Lynch Drunk and Disorderly podcast, you'll be able to find a few. Um, and a lot of what he says, I suspect that it can be similar to how I speak. A lot of what he says, it, it's, it's very clear. He's, um, I, I fish with him. He is, almost speaks a different language. But when you, when you understand what he's talking about, and he's talking about just your fingers, as opposed to even wrist, as opposed to even forearm, just these little light tap, 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 and, and angles and all that stuff. Um, he talks about tying a little bit too, and and this is what the reason I bring it up is because I'm gonna I'm gonna quote him on on one of the the tying components of it. Um, definitely go try to find those things, and and um, he wouldn't even take credit for me trying to extol his virtues when when I was telling him thank you. He's like, oh, you know, Larry Dalver is the one to tie 
deer hair in with the intention of carving it for a specific purpose in the water. I was like, all right, you're just not going <laughs> to cool. Um, but what he had said was, and he said it in, in two different ways. The, the width of the head is, is proportional to the length of the body. And I must've paused and re-listened to that one sentence when I first heard it, I don't know, 20 or 30 times. I was like, all right. So that's completely unhelpful. Well, after you tie a few, and I mean, even one, you tie a few more like that, you start to dial in what that width actually looks like with respect to what is going on with the rest of the fly. And and you stay within those bounds and, and sort of figure it out from there. The other one he had said is that you start from the eye. So you you take that razor blade up from and you put it flat down against the eye and you don't want the, the edge of that it's not supposed to be a block there is no edge it's it's what the water is supposed to be cut and he talks about chucking and jiving and um you know tight cuts and all this all these different phrasing it's that that front edge is cutting down into the water and it, it is not like a a crankbait or a jerk now it's a little more like a jerk bait it's not like a crankbait such that you hit it and because the rest of the body is buoyant and because the lips doing this there's a bunch of other mechanics involved there it starts to wobble in a certain way it's it's cutting down because of the way the fly wants to travel, wants to travel in the path of least resistance. When you give it a little tap, and then when you give it another tap after it's started to float up a little bit, and Tommy talks about float recovery, you give it another tap, and because of how it's oriented and the shape of your head, which is narrow at the front, wider as it goes in the back, it wants to, the, the path of least resistance is to go down and back the other way. And so in order to, I would say, maximize that, that, what I just described is the dog walk. It cuts one way, it starts to float up, you hit it again, right when it's done going the other way and starting to float, tap it again, and it goes down and over to the other side. That right there is one left to right. And when you're out fishing these things, and it took me so long to get there. You're watching it go left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. You can control that dog walk really, really well. And in order to, uh, one way to maximize that, I, I think, is to just view the, the edge, the front edge of that fly as the driver of that entire motion. And, and so you worry less about that flow recovery and getting this big head. Um, Tommy's quote was, once you have that edge, it matters very little what is behind that edge. And so if you just think about the mechanics of what's happening in the water, you can give that line of tap. It's not being told to go down into the left because of what is behind the front edge of the deer hair. 
there's a lot of helpful stuff that that can be encouraged as that happens. But when you start when you start going longer heads during that kill. So as it's supposed to be floating up and you're about to hit it again to go back down to the right, if you have a longer he head, there's more surface area and it can actually get pushed down. So instead of floating back up, it, it sort of folds over onto itself. And for those folks listening that this, this makes absolutely no sense to, I completely understand that. I'm sure it makes sense to James. I'm sure it makes sense to however many people are listening that have tied and dropped this orderly and said, why is this thing folding up on itself as I'm stripping it? Shorter and faster strips. And then, yeah, go, go with um, a shorter, wider head. It, it tends to not be the, that long head that is, that is driving the, the dog walk. It's um, those, those short, compressed heads that really focus on that tight cut at the front starting at the eye without anything without any width to it um and then a nice beefy collar you, you can cut that thing down if it's adding too much buoyancy but that that collar adds a lot of stability and actually stops it from holding onto itself um along with some other things so you know i'll start getting into flash selection and getting the right mallard guy if i don't stop myself now i i do think that will be helpful for james though yeah and james you know hit us back if you want us to dig into this a little bit more and uh i just called off the swat team so you're lucky <laughs> appreciate <laughs> yeah you bet it's like you know still in the holiday spirit and you know folks we love questions the articulate fly uh you can email them to us you can dm me on social media whatever is easiest for you and you know um Ellis and I'll put our heads together and come up with what we're going to do for our, our drawing promotion for 2024. But uh, I know from talking to you before we started recording that uh, you may not be up to your elbows and borax, but you have plenty of bucktail still. Yeah, I did a, a, a little bit of a push there and and all the grade ones and twos. So the, the super long and uh, also super expensive tails had sold and, you know, most folks got a lot of uh, a number of tails, so not just the grade one and twos. But I have a lot of the the grade three and fours, which, um, you know, next to the five five and a half inch. I mean, for anyone who ties with bucktail, if you go to whatever your largest tail is and look how many five five and a half inch fibers there are, when you're when you're getting a tail that is mostly five inch fibers it looks insane and, and the ones that are mostly fives with a lot of sixes in there it it, it doesn't look like it it's a genetic anomaly so i have a lot of the we'll say like you know four four and a half which they're, they're really really nice tails and those are the grade threes and then a lot in the grade fours um, those are the, the 15 and $20 tails. And basically just want to say that those, those are there and available. And let me know if you, if you have questions or want to see pictures on, on some of them, I will, I'll keep them for quite some time and I'll keep them watch for myself. But at, at some point I'll probably end up 
dyeing a, a good number of those. And naturals tend to be hard to come by. So, um, yeah, for, for those interested in getting some some good natural in the, the four, four and a half inch and up, up to the five, um, I will have plenty of those for a little bit and a bunch still in the freezer. So up till season is not over by any means. There you go. And, you know, folks, we're in the process of the Articulate Fly building out a uh, a Patreon community. And one of the benefits we have, we have two different tiers. And at one of the tiers, um, you get 10% off of Ellis's Bucktails. And there's another tier where once a year you get a $100 guide credit with Ellis. So great way for you to support Ellis. It's a great way for you to support the show. And uh, you can find the link to that in the show notes. And Ellis, before I let you go, I know you're uh, – you're getting ready to kind of get back in, in the water, kind of full bore here. Um, but you want to let folks know uh, how they can reach out to you so they can get on your guide calendar? Yes. Uh, website is ellisworldflies.com. Um, you can send an inquiry, you know, email me through that. Texting me is always, texting calling is always, I would say, a better option at 513-543. 0019 and mostly for entertainment you can you can follow on youtube at ellis ward fishing instagram is at ellis ward guides and i i tend to not put up i'd say 90 percent of what goes on in my life um they're they're good indicators of of what's happening but if if you are interested in Specifically now for the next month or two, postpone browns, fishing streamers, um, still have a lot of great dry fly activity and fishing for musky until the spawn in, in late April. Give me a shout. Yeah. Or or if you just need a suggestion on your next vape pack, that too, that works too, right? Oh yeah. I've been <laughs> I've been dude, I'm I'm the one on the ground doing the legwork and it's I don't know what else you need from a guide. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, listen, folks, uh, you know, just want to wish everybody a, a happy new year. Happy new year, Ellis. Happy new year, Marv. Tight lines, everybody. <laughs>